I want to, uh, on this uh, July 4th, give you an opportunity. If you, if you have something from the Lord, a, a word from the Lord, a blessing, an answer to prayer, something this week maybe, and you want to share it with us succinctly, uh, give you, just give you a brief opportunity if you want to do that. I just want to thank the Lord um, so much for bringing James and Alex into my life. It is more precious each and every day to get to know them. And today's James' birthday, and I'm not really in trouble for sharing that, but it's in your bulletin, so it's public information. So, but I'm just so grateful to have this man into my life um, who loves the Lord and is called according to his purpose. And it's just a real treasure. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. And happy birthday, James. Any other birthdays today? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Kim, for sharing that. I want to uh, begin a series of sermons on <clears throat> stories in Genesis. And it's I didn't realize until just recently that Sunday was July 4th, or I might have shared something different. But I really feel led to share what I'm sharing with you today, so I'm glad I am. We're not going to go through the book of Genesis verse by verse, but I'm going to pick out some of the major stories in the book of Genesis. I find, maybe you do too, that stories can impact you powerfully, and they're also really good at teaching theology. So let's see what the story of creation, Genesis chapter 1, might say to us today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water Under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening. And there was morning the second day. And God said. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. And let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, 
plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the waters teems according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, Creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air. And all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So the creation account in the Bible. 
Now, creation, it's a very complex issue. And Dave Barry, one of my favorite writers, kind of weighs in on this. He calls the big mystery, of course, is where did the universe come from? Although this question has baffled mankind for thousands of years, we now know, thanks to reading science books to our son, that the universe was actually formed 4.5 billion years ago this coming Saturday when an infinitesimally small object, smaller than an atom, smaller even than the individual butter servings they give you in restaurants, suddenly exploded, perhaps because of faulty wiring, in a cataclysmic event that caused the parts of the universe to go shooting out in all directions and expanding at an incredibly rapid rate, an expansion that continues to this day, especially in the case of Raymond Burr. According to this hypothesis, After a couple of million years, various weensy particles began clumping together to form stars, planets, saxophones, etc., which is why we refer to this as the Big Band Theory. The Big Band Theory is now widely accepted in the scientific community, although it still has a few technical bugs in it, such as that anybody who took it seriously would have to have the IQ of soup. There is no way you could fit everything in the universe into a little dot. I base this statement on my garage, which contains approximately one half of the things in the universe because my wife refuses to throw them out. Scrunched together at the absolute maximum possible density so that if you try to yank any one thing out, all other things attracted by gravity fall on your head. From this, we can calculate that the universe was roughly twice the size of my garage when it, the universe, exploded. I certainly hope this has cleared up any lingering questions you may have had about the universe. Now, there are real problems with Darwinism. I have always thought, has Darwin watched reality shows? How can he believe in evolution if he has? Now, I will be the first to tell you this morning, I'm not a scientist. But there are a lot of really smart Christians who are, and they don't hold to the theory of evolution. And I have some of those resources in your sermon notes today. So let's just start with the book itself, the book of Genesis. The author isn't named, but scholars are generally agreed on that. That is Moses. Moses wrote the book of Genesis, in fact, the first five books of the Bible. And Genesis chapter 1 starts right off with one of the most famous sentences in all the Bible. And I'm stunned at how brief it is and how much it encompasses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. That's the beginning that sums up everything. In the beginning, God. No one else was there. There were no eyewitnesses to this event. No scientists were there. Darwin wasn't there. Your physics professor in college wasn't there. Just God. So God had to reveal this truth to human beings as to what he did. He asked Job on one occasion, Job, where were you when I created everything? Then he created time. Before that, he dwelt in the eternal past What did he do before he created? Martin Luther said he made canes to beat people who asked such questions. 
But that's a good question. What was God doing before He created everything? He was dwelling in a community of love with the Son and Holy Spirit. God is perfect in His triune being. And although He did not need to create, He wanted to because He wanted to share His love, the love of the Father and Son and Spirit with what He made. Now, if we look at the book of Genesis and read it, it doesn't give us a date when this happened, this creation of the world. A man named Bishop Usher in the 1700s said the date that Adam and Eve were created was October the 6th, 4004 B.C. I don't know the age of the universe personally, but I hold to a young earth rather than billions of years. But the most important word in that first sentence of the first verse of the Bible is the word God. It's just stated matter-of-factly that God created. The Bible doesn't try to prove God's existence. In fact, it says it's self-evident. Romans 1.20 For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So men are without excuse. The Bible says God is above His creation. He's not the same thing as His creation as Eastern religions teach. God created the tree. He isn't the tree, and the tree isn't God. God is above His creation and beyond it. He's much bigger. He's different and separate from His creation. He's the sovereign Lord over it all. Now, evolution is the alternative view to creationism. And remember, it's a theory. And to even possibly be a theory that's plausible, it needs billions of years to work. But again, there were no eyewitnesses to this. You can't recreate that event in a test tube to prove it scientifically. It's a theory, and it proposes that everything exists without God. So for me, even if I don't understand everything scientifically about this world and this universe, for me it boils down to a simple equation. Either God created everything as the Bible says, or he didn't. Two quotes I want to read to you briefly. One is, this guy was the winner of the 1967 Nobel Peace Prize in Science, George Wald. He says, when it comes to the origin of life on this earth, there are only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation or evolution. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved a hundred years ago. But that leads us only to one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. Dr. Watson of Harvard University said, Evolution has been accepted by scientists not because it has been observed to occur or proved by logical, coherent evidence to be true, but 
because the alternative is clearly unacceptable. It takes a lot more faith to believe that everything in this universe, everything you see, just happened by chance than to believe a creator God did it. That's just common sense. If you look at all the design that's in the universe, and even in the human body, the complexity, the DNA, for instance, of which there are 10 billion miles of coded information in a human DNA strand, if it could be stretched out. So it makes perfect sense, to me at least, that something or better, someone created the complexity of our DNA and the vastness of the universe. Now, there are problems with evolution. Let me just hit on a couple of them briefly. How does a truly material world produce moral creatures? There isn't enough time for evolution. It takes so long for things to evolve from single-celled creatures to human. There's not enough time. The second law of thermodynamics is proven science. This law says the world is running down. Evolution requires increasing complexity, thus contradicting this proven law. Where are the missing links in the fossil record? They've never been found. If the universe evolved by chance, how did the first elements get here? DNA is different for all animals. It couldn't have evolved into other different DNA forms because its structure prohibits that. Evolutionists say it takes, it took 10,000 years for a spider to be able to weave a web. How did it survive in the meantime? Where is evolution happening today? Good questions. Lots of problems with evolution. But yet our high schools and colleges almost uniformly teach it This theory of evolution is fact. And then many people are caught between a rock and a hard place. Well, I I want to appear scientific and agree with what is commonly thought, but yet I believe in God. Well, you can't hold those two together. They're self-contradictory. They're two opposing philosophies, two different religions, really. People's problem is with the authority of Scripture. The Bible says God created. And if he didn't, then the whole Bible's suspect. How do I really know Jesus is God? How do I really know he rose from the dead? Richard Bozer in the American Atheist magazine said, Christianity has fought and still fights and will fight science to the desperate end over evolution because... Evolution destroys utterly and finally the very reason Jesus' life was supposedly made necessary. Destroy Adam and Eve and original sin, and in the rubble you find the sorry remains of the Son of God. If Jesus was not the Redeemer that died for our sins, and this is what evolution means, this is not a Christian talking, but an atheistic scientist, but sees the truth, then Christianity is nothing. So that atheist knows that if the Bible, the foundational chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, is false, then the whole thing falls down like a house of cards. Satan wants you to doubt the Bible, the truth of the Word of God. 
Now, as we read through Genesis chapter 1, you see a pattern repeated ten times. And God said, light become, literally in the Hebrew, and it became. God spoke the world into existence. The Father was creating, the Son was creating, the Spirit was there. The triune God created everything that is. Everything came out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing. So technically, we human beings don't create anything. We take what is already here and form it and rearrange it. Only God creates out of nothing. And six times it says of creation, it was good. And when he created humans, he said it was very good. Matter, including human beings, are not evil in themselves. Many in the ancient world believed that all matter, including human beings, were evil. But the Bible says that God became a human being. He became incarnate in the human flesh in Jesus Christ. So it can't be evil. Things of this world can be used for evil, but they're not evil in and of themselves. Everything God made was good, he said. But things can be used for evil or God's glory. I see God's joy in what he created. I believe that God is the most joyful being in the universe. He made the oceans, the mountains, the stars. Can you imagine what that would be like to make all those things and then just stand back and look at it and enjoy it and say it was good. It was very good. And so we must worship him as creator God. We see another pattern in Genesis chapter 1. Evening and morning for each day. Now God could have created everything all in one second. But he decided not to do it that way. The way he did it, still everything is complete and perfect. So I believe what's referenced here is 24 literal days. Some argue epics, millions or billions of years in between each day. 24-hour days fit the word yom in its context of chapter 1 much better. God created time here. Day 1, light and darkness. Day 2, the atmosphere. Day three, he separated the land and the seas, made plants and trees. Day four, sun, moon, stars, seasons, and years as signs. I hope you noticed that word. Day five, sea creatures and birds. Day six, animals and humans. Day seven, God rested. It shows that God is very organized. There was an orderly unfolding in his mind and purpose for his creation. He has a plan for creation. He has a plan for your life as part of his creation. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Let's read the rest of the creation story, Genesis 2:1-3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. 
So on the seventh day, God rested. Was he tired? No. This is the rest of achievement. He finished. It was completed. Evolution says everything is still unfinished. It must keep evolving to higher and higher forms. Truth of the matter is, scientists have discovered it would take about 200 parameters, 200 things that must perfectly come together and fit for there to be life on earth. And what do we find? Those 200 things come together perfectly. A 1 in 10 to the 194th power chance. It could not have happened by chance. Only an intelligent being, creator God, could make everything perfect as he did. And everything he made was perfect. But sin mars his marvelous creation. And we're going to see that in the weeks ahead. And someday, the Bible says, God will destroy this earth that he made by fire and create a new heavens and a new earth. So by application, how can I apply the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1, which is the foundational chapter for our Bible? What does it mean for me? Let me give you some things to apply. Take time, even this week, to think about your life. How God's plan for you fits into his eternal plan. Spend time daily with God in the word. Get to fellowship with and know better your creator. And thank him for being the creator. Worship him and give him praise for all that he's made. This beautiful world in creation. And get out in it and enjoy it. One more thing for application. Take one day at least a week to recreate, to recreate. That that day would be set aside for God and worship. To eat together and visit and enjoy Him and other people. That weekly cycle, God created into the order of things. Work and rest. And, And that helps us to be healthier human beings. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge you today as the creator, the creator of all that is. There is no one like you. This could not happen by chance, and we don't think that for a second. We believe you, that you, God, alone made the world that we live in, and that you have a plan for that world, including us, to live out and share our faith with others in this world so that they might know you too. As creator, I pray, Lord, that this week you will reveal yourself in new ways and and your creative powers and abilities. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. I'm just going to close a cappella. God bless America. We'll sing through this twice. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above, from the mountains to the prairie. To the ocean.
Yes, Lord, we do as we leave. We do pray that and not just sing it, but pray it. Bless America. Change America. But Lord, your word would expand our vision beyond just America. God bless the nations of the world that they might know you, to see you as the one true God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.